open hearts and open ears, Lord. Tell us what you're saying, we pray. Help us to understand, Lord, what you've been speaking through um, all this week, Lord, or past weeks to Mr. Bournes. Help us to understand, Lord, and to apply these things to our own lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment or my chains is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my uh, imprisonment or in my chains. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So we're, about, we're now in terms of this introduction. We have heard Paul's greeting. Uh, we have known his thanksgiving for their fellowship and the wonderful realization that God is working in the, their midst. And we've heard Paul's prayer that they will be doctrinally pure and practically holy. Now we've come to Paul's witness. He wants to tell them how things have gone after he had been uh, his appeal to Caesar and after all the way in which God had providentially overruled to take them to Rome. And one hears uh, Luke's famous words in the last chapter of Acts, and so we came to Rome. Now in Rome, he was actually in house arrest. And that meant he had he was chained to a Roman soldier and they had a kind of time and time about. And now he wants to tell them how it's all gone with them. And you'll see that you didn't have to, to understand Paul's quandary and also his calling and theirs. But let's have a look at his witness. Oh, by the way, I should say to you that you have a witness too. If you're a Christian, the very fact that you're a Christian means that you are a witness 
to Christ's saving power. You are a witness. If you just simply say, I am a Christian, you are giving witness. I want to say to you that whether or not you're, you're realizing it, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever your place, you are a witness. By the way, you're not witnessing to yourself. You're witnessing to Christ. He is the sun on our horizon. We are witnessing to him. And Paul hits the nail right on the head when he says, they all knew that I am here because of my witness to Christ. So, first he talks about the witness of his circumstances and he's chained. The witness of the church. He has some competitors. It would be strange that if he didn't have competitors, by the way, because in my extensive travels through Australia and New Zealand, I always find that, that I had competitors. And sometimes it was very uh, conspicuous. Sometimes it was not so conspicuous, but they were in competition. More of that later. But he says that his witness is to Christ. And he's not ashamed. He's never ashamed of Christ. His witness is to Christ as the world's saviour. Now then, let's look more closely at it. He tells them that what happened to him has furthered the gospel. He's gospel-minded. If a church is not gospel-minded, it has ceased to be the church that God had created. If there isn't a witness to the gospel in this church, it should cease to exist. We, we, we as a church uh, have our existence to witness to Christ. Whatever we do, whatever we say, is a witness to him. Now, why his witness was so powerful is that it's, he sparked a kind of revival. Do I understand this text? The church needed to be revived. It had become very slack and very sluggish and very silent about the gospel. And here's Paul with perhaps three or four changes of the guard every six or eight hours or whatever, 
witnessing to them. And by the way, his witness then spread to all the imperial guard and to all the palace. And it was actually coming in circles right through to the to Rome itself. And the church then had to take stock. They had been sluggish and lazy in terms of their witness. And now they had to pull up their socks, we say, and now start preaching and start proclaiming and start witnessing and start start talking about Christ. Oh, good, a good test. You get a, 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 a bunch of Christians together and, boy, we can talk, can't we? We can talk about so many things. I, I actually am quite uh, overcome sometimes because what Christians can talk about. But you'll know that I am almost famous for the fact that you can be talking about all kinds of things and I actually pop in a verse in the conversation. And see what the Christians do with it. I don't, I don't give an obscure text. It's one that's well known. But it's all, it's part of my conversation. And let's see what these Christians, my content me. So many times they just become silent. As though they've never heard it. As though they've never known it. As though they've never spoken of it. They simply become dumb. So dumb that you could cut the air with a knife. I don't say it to spoil their conversation. I want to, to get the conversation to where we should be talking as Christians. Christ is all important. He is everything. Christ is all and in all. He is the very heart and soul of our conversation. Is he? Is it true? If I'm talking to you, are you talking to me about Christ? Oh, what is what is what has caused this? Doctor John Stott wrote a little book called "Our Guilty Silence." What's caused the silence of Christians in terms of their testimony to Christ? I tell you what, the reason is that God gave us two ears and two eyes and one mouth. And why Christians are silent in their witness to Christ is they've got a closed Bible. They're not reading it, and they're not hearing it. And so, if you aren't hearing and you're not reading, what are you saying? You've got nothing to say. 
in my long life, on my witness to so many Christians, time and time again, my morning reading was my basis of the witness of that day. And I would knock on a, a believer's door and they would open the door and some of them, I think, think I was Satan in a suit. Whatever you here for, whatever have we done? And then we started talking. And without a, a word of hesitation, my scripture reading fresh in my mind and fresh uh, uh, meaning to me pops out in the conversation. And it's just the very word that these people have needed that day. So I challenge you to read a chapter a day and keep the devil at bay and read a chapter a day so you have something to say. If your Bible is closed, your mouth is closed. Try me. You say to, to God tomorrow morning, let me read this chapter. You speak to me, Lord, and I'll speak to others. And let's see how it happens. You just, you just sidle up to me and say, uh, Mr. Boynes, it works. It works. Or if, you, if it doesn't, you come up to me and say, well, I read a chapter, but uh, I didn't get much out of it. Oh, tell me the chapter and let us talk about it. So, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we can't talk about it. Well, let's see how the gospel was furthered. I want you to know, brothers, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What Paul is talking about is divine providence. That God has overruled his situation. God has undertaken for his situation, brought it to the very center of the Roman Empire, and his witness has now become the word of all his jailers, the word of the imperial guard, the word of Caesar's house and palace, and the word of Rome. In the evidence of Paul's witness, so that it has become evident to the whole palace God and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. It's almost as though Paul is saying, I didn't have to say any more. They all know. They all heard. That's why I've said to you right at the beginning of this sermon, your witness is important. The first person that spoke to me of Christ led me to Christ. All he did was quote a verse at half past 11 at night and at half past three in the morning I was converted. 
one single text. That was after the Second Supper, by the way. He was trying to get, uh, get up steam to, to, to tell me he'd become a Christian. Your witness is important. What did it take? What did what happened? All of the all of Caesar's guards had all learned the God. You couldn't sit with Paul for so many hours and not talk. You can change his arms, you can't you can't stifle his mouth. Christians have got a mouth to speak. God made us like that. But he wants us now to speak of Christ. It's progress at the very heart of the Roman Empire. Dr. Luke tells us that all that came to his house, the Jews came, Anismus came, there were people coming in and out, no one forbidding him. The poor couldn't go to all the empire, but the all the empire was coming to him. What was his witness to Christ? He didn't actually say. Was he, was he the witness that Jesus is the Messiah? That would be his witness to the Jew. Jesus is Lord, that would be his witness to the Gentile. Was his witness that Jesus is the world's saviour? Now, by, by the by, if you're a Christian, you've been saved. You have been saved by the Christ in whom you put your trust. So if you haven't got a testimony, you've got one of your own. So you can actually tell people how you came to Christ. Sure, that's meaningful, isn't it? Sure, it's part and parcel of your actual, what I might call your psyche. You're a Christian. Now, what's happening? What's happening in the church? Most of the brothers in the Lord become, have become confident by my change are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We are, we are, we are, we have become very silent as churches in terms of the gospel. And you say, oh, that's an old fella talking. He remembers the good old days. I'm remembering these days too. When I first became in full time work as a full time missionary, I prayed on my knees 
for a whole week saying, Lord, I'm going to teach and teach and teach and teach and teach. But Lord, give me an opportunity to preach and preach and preach. So for 20 years, I preached the gospel on Sunday nights to what many of my contemporaries said were saints and seats. The only problem was there were quite a few saints that were still sinners. And when I came back from Australia after being there in 10 years, the first week five different people came to me and said, we were converted through your preaching. I didn't have any knowledge of it. We were converted through you speaking the gospel to our hearts. And we trusted Christ. We don't preach the gospel very much now, do we? More's the pity. I understand that we do need preachers to preach it. Evangelists. Uh, we now need to rally ourselves and say we need gospel preachers preaching to our congregations so that they can be enthused and inflamed to preach the message. So I used to have believers that said, you don't mind that I pinched your message and I've been preaching it to my neighbour. I said, that's the whole point of it. I'm giving it to you and you're to pass it on. Pass it on, pass it on. So what happened? It's not in my notes for you, but it's in overhead now. A revival of the church's witness to Christ took place. The preachers who were there and had quite a high opinion of themselves, by the way, and now had sparked up to start preaching for long. A recognition that Paul's stand for Christ was not for nothing. We as a church must stand with him. A revelation, a realisation of their need to witness to Christ. If you stand... Others will stand with you. If you don't stand up, they won't. I've had uh, a cousin riding an actual family tree, which spreads right back to the middle of the 16th century. And he said, uh, Now, Jack, we want you to, to write a page into these memoirs. So I said, Lord, I have got a golden opportunity. And I told them, I became a Christian. That is actually written into these family records. Not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others who come after and say, there was one Christian that stood up in our family tree. Not too many of them. Uh, as I understand. And I said, if I don't stand, it will be a blot on my life and my whole heritage 
they must know that one of them became a Christian. And so, if the Lord wills and there's further generations to come, they will read that. And if they become Christians, they would say, I'll stand with you. I'll stand for your Christ. They were no longer fearful. They stood with Paul and more particularly, they stood with Christ. You remember in First Timothy that Jesus, before Pontius Pilate, gave the good testimony. Now, the witness of the church, there were some that were preaching Christ from ill will. Someone preached Christ even from envy and strife. I'm trying to kind of get the, what was happening. And I quite to feel that Paul came from Jerusalem or, well, yeah, hmm. That was just a little out of the way. It's not even a suburb of Rome. And so here's the country preacher arriving in the city and preaching Christ. And here are now city slickers who have become converted, but, oh, we can preach the gospel better than Paul. We are more eloquent. Oh, we are more sophisticated. We can rival Paul's preaching abilities and his witnessing abilities. And here, here it is. The country coming to the city is never very comfortably accepted by city slickers. I should know, because I taught in the city of, of Auckland for quite a few years, and they all were nonplussed that this little country yokel that came from the Wairapa, you know, just, you know, way beyond the black stump, could preach a gospel and could teach a Bible. They could not, many of them ever could not actually reconcile that. I won't say names because it's, it's quite meaningless. But I want to tell you that in God's goodness, he upheld the witness given. And many city slickers had to have to say to themselves, we've got to preach and we've got to teach. Now, some were preaching from goodwill. They understood what Paul was, his predicament that he was in. And they sided with him and they stood with him. Those out of love knowing that I have been set for the defense of the gospel. And when Paul stood, they stood with him. You know, if you go back to Judges, 
what was happening. Gideon had 300 men. All the rest had come home, gone home because they were faint and all the rest of the excuses and fearful. Now, I always think of that verse that says that Gideon and his 300 were faint but pursuing. They knew their weakness, but they weren't going to quit. There were people who stood with Paul in the gospel. There were others who, for wrong reasons, they preached Christ from selfless ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to add to my, my bonds, my chains. And you think, well, that's horrific, that Christians would actually down a fellow Christian who was in circumstances that were not very pleasant. What did Jeremiah say? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, try the heart. And sometimes we as Christians have got to have a very good look at ourselves. We think that we are perfect when we're not. We think we're sinless and we're not. We think we're holy and we're not. We think we're better and we're not. Well, let's see now the witness to Christ. Paul's question, what then? Well, we might all say, what now? So what was Paul's attitude to the good and the bad? Those that stood with him and those that stood apart from him. Well, his answer is only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And that I rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice. You can see why. Christ is having all the glory. And he is absolutely now front stage. Ah, Paul says, I rejoice and I will rejoice. Now note five things. You might be in circumstances very restricted. You can't get out, you can't get about. You've got problems. You've got health problems, you've got financial problems, you've got family problems. There's so many problems that hem you in. You think, my poor, poor me, poor my, what can I do to witness to Christ? Well, the first thing you need to do is understand God's overruling providence. Things aren't as bad as you portray them. They're not. You have to be alert and alive and aware that God is working in spite of your straightened circumstances. He's working, he's overruling, he's undertaking. 
The second thing you notice is the outreach of personal witness to all, as many are being involved as, as recipients and as witnesses. You being a Christian affects others. And you should thank God that your witness is not unimportant. Note too that there was an ordering of real help by others by being provoked to witness. If I provoke you today to witness to Christ, I shall be very glad. And if I stand in a group of Christians and hear you witnessing to Christ, I will be over the moon. Now, what are our real competitors? Well, I, I dominate self. I'm the problem. Not these people, not these people, not these people, not those people. I'm the problem. If I've got a problem, I'm the problem. You might not, might not, might not like me saying that, but if you've got problems as a Christian, you are the problem. You say, we don't live in a, in a, in a sinless world. There, there are problems. Yes, but it's your attitude that's the problem. It's your actual reaction that's the problem. Personal pride and green envy can cause ructions in the camp. Party strife and a partisan spirit. I'm of Paul and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Apollos and the, the demerity of some to say and I'm of Christ. To reduce Christ as a party leader. No wonder Paul says to the Corinthians 60 times, Jesus is Lord. He's not a party leader. He is Lord of all. Selfish ambition in wrong motives. And I'm reminded of the famous words of Shakespeare, the fault, dear Brutus, is in ourselves, not in our stars that we are underlings. Or to quote Paul, I know that as in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. Paul, are you mad to say that? And I'm going to say, say that he, he, he said it as a very mature Christian. I know that as in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. Now, very quickly. Our real calling to speak the word without fear. Now, most of us are in fear when there's no cause for fear. We're afraid that if we say something, that people might... But you don't preach to people, by the way. You make your witness part of the conversation. It's a, it's a holy art. Don't you preach to people. You talk to, to people in their normal conversation so that you put a Christian 
Weiß alles. So, we are to proclaim and pre pre preach Christ. Those seven churches in which Jesus stood were seven lampstands. They were there to witness to Christ and reveal him. If we are going to proclaim Christ and preach him, we need to love him and we need to stand for the truth. For he truly is our Saviour and Lord. If he really is, I don't think, I can't see how Christians can be silent. He, re he really is my Saviour and Lord. If he, if he is, then why aren't you saying so? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, says the ancient psalmist. If, you're, if you are redeemed, say so. One thing that will help you, if you start confessing, you will be much more sure of your Christian testimony too. Now, what about, what effect has it on us? Well, considerable love and trying circumstances either your love blossoms or it dies. In Paul's case, it blossomed. <laughs> it blossomed to others who out of love preached Christ. Your Christian influence over difficult believers. That time-honoured slogan that we sometimes speak to dwell above with the saintly love, that will be grace and glory. To dwell below with the saintly no, well, that's another story. Well, it is. But if you've got a witness for Christ, you can stand and influence difficult believers. So you not are looking at each other, you're looking at Christ. You're not focusing to each other, you're focusing on Christ. And constant joy that Christ is being proclaimed. J.B. Phillips said the missing note of the 20th century church is joy. The dominant note of the New Testament church was joy. Now, how to maintain our joy in Christ. When Gary spoke to me, he said, I want you to speak to how to maintain our joy in Christ. Well, the first thing, if you're going to be a joyous Christian, is to be alert and aware of God's good providence that he is overruling, undertaking, he is shepherding, he is guarding, he is caring. You remember when, when Jacob said, all these things are against me? At that point, they were never all for him, but he didn't know. He wasn't alert, he wasn't awake, he wasn't aware of God's good providence working through and beyond his life. Be in tune with the spread of the gospel. Are you gospel-minded? 
If you're gospel-minded, when you hear of people being saved, it was a, it sparks the notal joy. So and so's been saved. So and so's been saved. So and so's been saved. When I went to an assembly way beyond the Black Stump in South Australia, I met a man who had served behind the longest bar in the southern southern hemisphere. He got converted. He he invited all his previous workmates to the the wedding without grog, without beer. They were drinks, but soft drinks. They knew that he was converted, and they also knew that they could not turn his Christian witness away. So when people are converted, say hallelujah, Praise the Lord. Now, be active and witness for your Lord and Savior. If you are actively witnessing, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're passive, you're 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 introverted. You're passive. You're 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 just a sleeping Christian, a dumb Christian. A, oh. If you're witnessing, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Be generous to all who share in Christ's message, whoever they may be. You remember one of them was one of them was casting out demons, and the disciples uh, forbade him. Jesus said, "Forbid him not." And so you and I have got to realize that there are people who are preaching the gospel as truly as we are, as really as we are. Do rejoice. Billy Graham, when he came to New Zealand and his big crusades, my word, I, my heart was absolutely overflowing. For months I was on cloud nine. And here are people being converted and people that I was in touch with and people that I was talking to. The wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. The wonder is that God has saved you. And the wonder he saved me. And the most wonderful thing is he can save others. He may he may want your testimony though. So this week, say to yourself, Oh God, give me grace and give me strength and give me words to be a witness for your son, a witness to Christ. Hallelujah.